So the sun is shining. How many of you thought that was a game changer for your mood this morning? Boy, howdy. I was getting so grumpy. But the sunshine just needed that. You guys look good today, though. Well, thank you. Wasn't, wasn't fishing for compliments. Let's be honest, I look the same. I have like two t-shirts and like three overshirts that I will periodically wear. I buy the exact same pair of jeans every time I go to the store. I look the same, but thank you. There is no variation in my wardrobe. Consistency is a beautiful thing. Let's just embrace consistency. So Lent began, <laughs> Lent began on Wednesday. Is anyone celebrating Lent? Or per, let's say participating in Lent. That's probably a better terminology. Yeah, the Presbyterians for sure. The Pentecostals are, we're working on catching up. So Lent is, um, is this 40-day period as we prepare for Easter, not counting Sundays. Lent is a, is a Latin word that kind of it gives us the inclination of, lo, of a, a lengthening, the, the lengthening of days as we approach spring. And in this lengthening of days as we approach spring, the Christian tradition leads us to uh, understand what it was intentionally used for these 40 days. It was a time where you would prepare new believers for baptism. And so throughout these 40 days, there would be, um, there would be a lot of preparation that would take place spiritually, mentally, physically. It would be a time of, of fasting. And most of all, it'd be a time of deeper instruction and deeper understanding of the scriptures and what it is to be Christian, what it is to live a Christian life. And for a lot of folks, you give something up during Lent. And so I would propose, um, as we're going to do uh, five weeks through this series, talking through Lent, I would propose that we give up bad theology for Lent. And so today, um, it, was, it was only half of a joke, I'm serious. So today, I want to challenge you to, and encourage you to do a check on your personal theology and the stability thereof as we begin to walk through this Lent series. And we're going to be using, if you want to do some work ahead of time before next week or the week after. We're going to be using the scriptures from the Revised Common Lectionary as we teach through this Lent season and head into Easter. And we're going to go a little deep today and set a course for Easter Sunday because I love Easter Sunday. It is one of my favorite times 
Um, so a couple notes on Easter. Um, this is, I'm not doing announcements right now. I'm just giving you a couple of notes on Easter. So I'm not slipping announcements in. Um, baptisms. We will be doing Easter baptisms. So if you've been waiting to be baptized, Easter baptisms. Here's your first call. Uh, come talk to me. Um, secondly, we're going to do a choir again on Easter. Okay? Open call and choir. So if, you, if you're like, man, I miss being in a choir. I want to be in a choir. Easter is your shot. This is your big chance to, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what you accomplish by being in a choir, but this is your shot. So if, if, you, if you're like, man, boy, howdy, do I need to be in a choir? That lady in the back row over there who's going to wave her hand, there it is. Um, she wants to talk to you about that, and it's going to be amazing. So... Those are my two non-announcements for Easter. My question as we start today that I want you to kind of roll around in your head. Have you ever blamed God for something? Maybe it's something you're doing right now. Maybe there's something going on in your life that you are blaming God for. Have you ever blamed God? Maybe it's a crisis. A crisis, something that has happened to you, and you're like, God, why would you do this to me? I've been there. Maybe you look at the news, and you, you see something drastic happening somewhere, and you're like, God, why did you do that? Why would you do that to those people? I think a few years back when New Orleans flooded and every televangelist in the entire world decided to claim that that was God's judgment for their sin. That's bad theology. Let's back up to the, the days of Noah. Noah. In a wicked world, described in Scripture as violent and hostile, God chose at this time to destroy. He chose to destroy. He destroyed his creation. The thing he looked down on and said, this is good. Uh, this, you know what we created? Love this. He chose to destroy that. The thing he loved, the thing he was passionate about, the relationship with his creation. And he said, I'm going to flood this thing. We're going to destroy it. Except for these eight. We'll, we'll pull these eight out. And for whatever reason, a bunch of animals. But he chose to destroy it. And then we come in the book of Genesis to this scripture. Can I have it down here too? I'll go over here for this time, but Tammy, come on. Okay, so we move ahead in the story of Noah a little bit. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, 
and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those who came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. Here's our place in Scripture where God begins to make covenants. God begins to make covenants to rebuild relationships. Now we call this the the Noahic covenant. It's between all flesh. So animals, like the whole thing as we just read. The bigger point here is that God is at peace with creation. When we get in a mental place where we assume God is bringing hardships upon us, we kind of fall off of this. There's a big difference between guiding, between being shepherded by God, and being tried to be killed by God. There's a big difference there, okay? Our God loves us. God is good, period. My question for you today, though, um, is how does it feel as a person who is alive and well in 2024, that God made a covenant, the same covenant between you and your cat. Isn't that weird? There's so many weird things in scriptures that like I share a covenant with my idiot orange cat that God will not destroy us. I find, yeah, there's so many weird things in Scripture, but that is for sure one of them for me. We should end the sermon now. (laughs) And after everything was said and done, God, as one commentator put it, hung up his war bow. He hung up his weapon of destruction as a symbol that he's not going to do that again. I find it interesting that if you, if you consider the, the direction of the bow, it's shooting up. The God is not out to destroy us. He hung it up because God is good. 
In the coming weeks, we will approach other covenants, and we're going to keep realizing the exact same thing. Here's what we're going to realize. There is no covenant in Old Testament structure that could satisfy the mutual desire we have with God for relationship. There was nothing that would work. The end result of of the divine was always and remains where it started, us walking in perfect communication, us walking in perfect unity, in perfect relationship with the Father. Each time a covenant, as we'll see, is made, it brings relationship tighter. And they have specific purposes. It's promises, agreements between nations, people, regions. This one is interesting, though, because it seems to encompass so much more and speaks to God's heart because it's, number one, unconditional, and number two, it's compassionate, and it's based on nothing we do. And so I believe it even foreshadows a little bit of what happens in John 9. John 9, we don't have time today, but it's this story where the the disciples are are talking with Jesus because there's this blind man. And and they're like, okay, Jesus, so um, who sinned in order for this guy to be blind? Jesus is like, what are you talking about? Nobody sinned in order for this guy to be blind. That's not how this works, because God is good. And then, of course, Jesus healed him and used it as a sign of the goodness of God. But how does this then affect you today? It's been a long time since Noah. There's been a lot of history in Scripture. There's been a lot of history in the world. How does this affect us today? How does this affect the stability of your personal theology as we talked about this morning? There's two pieces that we always need to look at before we can address any piece of Scripture from our personal understandings. The first one is, how do you understand how Scripture started? How do you understand that the story of God started? And then the second one is, how do you understand things are going to end? So if you look at how everything began, how God created, how God started putting everything together, was it just happenstance? There's just one day he's like, ah, I'm going to go ahead and try and create something and see what happens. And this weird experiment turned out to be what we have today. Did God create and then become uncaring? Did he become uninvolved? Or was creation carefully, purposefully, divinely ordered? Did God create out of love? Did God create for perhaps relationship? And then the second piece, what does the end look like? Do we... Do we have this understanding in our heads where maybe God's only going to keep the ones he really likes? He's just going to keep his favorites. He's going to destroy everything else, and we get to live in fear until that time? 
Or do we have a hope? Do we have a hope of Christ coming again? Do we have a hope in something new? Do we have a hope in what he calls the, the new heaven and the new earth, the something more? Those two questions will filter, they will taint, they will color what you think about God on other pieces and on other planes. When we think that God is a vindictive destroyer who wants nothing but control, that comes out of those two questions. When we think that God is good, that God has a plan, that God looks at us with love, that answer again comes out of those two questions. Let's follow this progression this morning. Beginning of Genesis, the Garden of Eden. Creation was perfected. This was God's ultimate design. He looked and said, this is good. Go ahead and be fruitful, multiply, do, do all these things, care for the animals, care for the world I have let you live in. Go for it. This was good. But then sin enters. Things go sideways to the point where I, I, I often wonder, so if I was God, would I regret giving people free will? Like, wouldn't it be better if everything, I just organized everything in such a way that we didn't have to get to this point? Wouldn't that be so much better? That's why I'm not God. I would just keep, keep it all in a neat, tidy box. But he still gives us this free will. He still gives us this choice to be in relationship to the point where, we, as we talked about this morning, the earth was flooded. People were violent, people were evil, and God saw no choice but to just wipe that out and begin again. Over time, he started de developing covenants with his people and building a structure where, where relationship, although limited, could start developing agreements to foster a two-sided relationship. And eventually Jesus comes, God with skin on, institutes a new kingdom, a new covenant. And as we get closer to Easter Sunday, where we know the greatest story ever told paints a vivid picture of our spiritual reconciliation with God, there is still this desire from most of us where it's like, that's good, but what else? That's good, but what else? First Peter 3, 18 to 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body and made alive in spirit. After being made alive in spirit, okay, hang on, before we continue. So this is possibly one of the most contested pieces of scripture we're about to read um, in any commentary and um, I was very close to just cutting it off and um, not having to explain it. 
um, but we're going to go ahead and do it anyway, and um, yeah, I will say nothing that will put my credentials in jeopardy, Pastor Ron. However, we'll read it anyway. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. You read that correctly. There is many interpretations for that. Um, Yeah, there's some time traveling happening here. Maybe. I don't know. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you, also not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. It is amazing to me that in the power of the cross, in the power of the cross, there is this There is this this unction, there is this beauty to bring us into relationship with Jesus Christ. That is nothing we could have dreamt up, that is nothing we could have ever done. But these spiritual means that come out of this incredible moment, Jesus corrected the spiritual lack of relationship. But in our minds, It's often the temporal things we wish were lumped in together. It's the things we can see that we really want. Like, that's nice that I feel it in my heart, but what can I see? Hi, Dylan. It's very sneaky this morning. Sometimes we blame God when someone else is blessed and we aren't, even though we've been praying for a blessing or a healing. I've been there. I've been so mad going to healing crusades when I was a kid. It's like, I'm dealing with this. I'm dealing with this. And yet this Yahoo gets up there with a headache and he's healed immediately. Come on, Lord. I've been so frustrated by that stuff. Or God, why, why are you promoting people that I know are, are just insanely wicked, and yet I, I sit in the same place over and over and over again in life? God, why do these things happen? God is at peace with creation. But in a fallen world, that fallen world still fights back. And it leaves confusion, sin, stress, pain, death, and loss in its wake. And right when we think we start to understand God, right when we think we understand what the heck is happening around us, it goes sideways again. And we're sitting there, we go from this, God, you're really good. God, you, 
you are our provider, you are our sustainer, and then something goes sideways, and it's like, God, now what? So grateful to have Pastor Cher read that verse from Mark today. Because it's this quick transaction, it's this quick progression where Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit falls upon him. And then all of a sudden he goes through 40 days of chaos, 40 days of temptation, 40 days where it's like, now what? Do you ever feel like you're going through those 40 days? Where it's like everything that's going to go wrong is about to go wrong, and you're just stuck in the middle of it. But then he comes out the other side and begins his ministry life. Our lives will go up and down. They're going to. This is what lives do. You will struggle, but God will not leave you. Matthew 28, 20, I am with you even until the end of the age. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Even Romans 8, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. Friends, would you stand with me this morning? you guys can sneak in behind me too. They're so quiet. Church mice. I just invite you to close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to pray for you guys in a, in a couple of minutes here, but I just want you to, to think before I do this. God is on your side. God is for you. No matter where you started believing otherwise, maybe it was something you heard, maybe it was something you were taught, maybe it's just something you've always believed, but God is good and God loves you. Think about this question. How does that statement challenge how you approach life? Just think about that in the quietness of your heart. God is good. God is for you. How does that challenge your approach to life? As a child of God, Maybe you're in this room and you're not in that place yet. The only way to know God more and more is through a relationship. Nobody can do that for you. There is no church. There is no pastor. There's no song, no friend, no ministry. There's nothing you can buy that can do that for you. 
it is a relationship with Jesus Christ that brings that connection. Like in the beginning of the book, relationships matter. Good theology says, start here today, you and Jesus. Build relationships knowing that God is on your side. Just with your eyes closed this morning, I'm going to pray two things today. If you're here in this place, and maybe you've walked away from God, or maybe you've never made a decision to have a relationship with Jesus Christ before, I want to give you that opportunity today. I don't want you to go another day without that. I don't want you to have to question. I don't want you to ever feel like you you didn't get a chance. It wasn't clear to you. If you're in this room today and you say, I need a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's me. I've been thinking about that. I, something has, has clicked in my heart, in my head, in my spirit, and, and, and I just need to make that decision. Just with everyone's eyes closed today, if that's you, I just want you to slip up a hand, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Yep, yep. Anyone else? Yep. balcony too. Amen. I want you to repeat this prayer after me, everyone. Lord Jesus, I come to you today. And I just simply give you my heart. pray that you will forgive me of my sins, my, my everything I'm holding on to, and come into my heart in a drastic way. Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you make me new? In Jesus' name, amen. Book of Romans tells us that if you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. There's no magic prayer. It's all about relationship. It's all about heart. So for those five of you, I'm very proud of you. Well done. And if there was more than the five, well, you're awesome too. I want to pray for the rest of you before we continue. Um, if you're here today and you are in a place where you have let your heart believe that God is not good, you've let your heart believe that God is causing you pain, that God is causing you stress, that God is out to get you. If that's you today, I want to pray for you. And I just invite everyone to just place a hand on your heart. Lord God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are our God. And we just stand here today and we acknowledge that as a congregation.
that God, you are good. That the intent that you've always had was for a beautiful, unified relationship with us, your people. And so God, today we give you, we give you that back, we give you that control back to be good in our lives and for us to understand that you are our God and we are your people. So Lord Jesus, today as we continue into worship one more time, would you continue to show us your love? Would you continue to show us how incredibly good you are? Through this week, Father, would you, would you shine upon us? Would you find ways to surprise us, to remind us of your goodness? In Jesus' name we pray.